This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood films. This week we are taking a look back at The Apartment to see if our nostalgia is warranted. And right up top, which you may have devised from the title that I'll be posting this episode under, <laughs> this was a blind watch for all of us. And so none of us have any nostalgia for this film because none of us have seen it before. Sarah, I think you picked this one. Is there any particular reason you picked The Apartment besides the fact that we hadn't seen it? I suggested it because I knew it was slightly more up beat and less <laughs> depressing than everything Carl kept suggesting? Well, I thought so now, I the whole time slightly. you were watching this, I thought Carl had suggested it because Too it was from one of his no. books. Well, okay, okay, yes. I do have a list on my wall of 100 movies that I was trying to get through, and okay. the ones that I hadn't seen were the ones I was suggesting, and so, yes, one of them Sarah vetoed immediately because it's about a dog that lives its entire life waiting for its dead master to come back. 100%. And it's very, very sad. I also, there was a couple very violent ones that I sure. vetoed. And um, I suggested them knowing nothing about them. Yes. So <laughs> I, I will say I tangentially, and I'm definitely mispronouncing that one again. Um, sure. Know this one. And I think my problem is, so I know this one because... They made this into a musical called Promises, Promises, mm -hmm. and I know the soundtrack from the musical, which is ah. super, super upbeat. Okay. And I think the musical is more upbeat than the movie, but I still say this is still more upbeat than any of your choices. I don't know if I agree with that because I ran Hunter into the- one of your choices. Again, I've never seen it. All I know is that there's a Russian roulette scene. My parents uh, called it the most depressing movie they've ever watched in their life, and they never want to see it again. So I think cool. The Apartment is fine. Which is... All right. Well, in comparison to The Deer Hunter, yeah, The the Apartment is upbeat. <laughs> in comparison to other romantic comedies, which well, this is how this film was sold to me, mm -hmm. not from you, but through the site that I download yeah. movies from, it is under that category. And in fact, uh, the American film industry... AFI makes a bunch of lists. This is on their list of romance films. It is more of a satire of a romantic comedy. Sure. But and that I is not the know... way people so traditionally... So for a romantic comedy, I did have very few laugh-out-loud moments, yep. and I didn't think the romance really worked. Uh, but we can get into all of that. I do want to write up top. I don't have a 60 second synopsis because this isn't any one of our films, yeah. but I do want to explain the plot of this film to our it's listeners weird. who have not seen it. Uh, so I've kind of prepared something, but I'll be making it up on the fly. I didn't write anything down. So quickly to explain to our listeners what this film is about, you can think of it as a film in three-ish parts. The first part introduces us to, uh, CC Bud Baxter 
who is Jack Lemon, who works at an insurance company. And the title of the movie refers to his apartment, which he is lending out to executives of the company so that they can have their illicit affairs uh, while he makes himself busy at work uh, during the nights uh, to keep their secrets and with a promise that he's going to eventually get a promotion for letting them use his space. Uh, and they really mistreat him. They he said space. space. I heard face also. All right. <laughs> Using his, they don't use his face. They do use his space, <laughs> which we will get movie. into. Very different movie. So anyway, they mistreat him and they keep stringing him along with the promise of a promotion. Uh, so much so that like they always go over time that they've agreed upon. At one point he is in bed and one of them calls him up. It's like, Hey, I got a lady. You got to get out of bed. It's just like, sir, I, I just want to sleep. Like, well, I'm, I don't know if I can submit those papers to your promotion then. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of that manipulation shit where they're just yeah, stringing him along. Tiny voice. Yeah, I know. Um, and <laughs> I didn't think that he was ever going to get the promotion. I was wrong because he does get called up to a, a, a hiring manager's office, Mr. Seldrick, uh, who has received information from all these executives. It's like, well, it, uh, from all this paperwork, it seems like you're doing a really great job. But he is also caught on to why the, all these executives, these four executives that don't really know this guy, like they don't work in the same area are submitting all of these glowing recommendations. He has pieced together that there's something else going on. And Sheldrick, um, kind of manipulates Baxter into giving him exclusive rights to the apartment for his promotion. Uh, and did now, yeah, go ahead. Did he, I don't remember that he specifically said he had to cut everyone else off. It was just that he wanted to get in on it. Well, I think he does. I think when the second key is made, he's the only one getting that second key. Yeah. Granted, that was a point of confusion for me, which we can get into when we get into long form as to why one of the guys stopped by later on. Uh, but to end this first segment, uh, where he goes up to meet Seldrick, he also works up the nerve to ask out this elevator operator that he's kind of been flirting around and getting a burgeoning friendship with and decides to ask her out. She says, well, I got to meet this one guy. I thought it was going to go somewhere, but it's really not. So I'll meet him at a bar and then I'll meet you at the, the date. Play, play. <laughs> Which Shirt happens they were going to man. see the music, man. I know what it something, was. Something theater. <laughs> right, right. So uh, it turns out that the man that she is meeting happens to be Mr. Sheldrick, the boss that just promoted this guy. And she stands him up to go with Mr. Sheldrick to Baxter's apartment uh, for the night. So that's kind of the end of the first segment. Second segment, Baxter's got his promotion. He's got his office. It's at like a Christmas party. The elevator operator, whose name is Fran, is invited to the Christmas party by Baxter. They've kind of kind of figured out, you know, maybe this can work. I'm not too mad that she stood me up. It's been a little time. Uh, she runs into uh, she runs into Sheldrick's secretary, who was a previous affair of Sheldrick. Uh, and secretary's like, well, he strings girls along with a promise of getting divorced and then it never happens. She kind of figures out, uh, maybe that's not going to super work out. Meanwhile, she hands like a mirror to Baxter who found it in his apartment when she stood him up. And so he pieces together, oh, this is the woman that Seldrick met in my apartment and I was supposed to go out to see her. Oh boy, that's bad. It comes to a head, um, so kind of the end of the second part here is where it's the Christmas party. 
Baxter is lent to his apartment to Sheldrick, knowing that Fran is going to go there with him. And Fran's super not happy with the whole situation. And Sheldrick just kind of leaves her there. And then Fran tries to commit suicide, which is super not great. So the start of the, the third part is really Baxter finding her in his home and kind of um, helping her back uh, to health with the help of his neighbor, who happens to be a doctor, um, and trying to balance what information gets out, not for her benefit, but for Sheldrick's benefit, who doesn't want everyone to know that she tried to kill herself because of him and that she couldn't ever have him. Um, gosh, where does it go from here? Eventually, uh, Baxter gets punched in the face by Fran's brother because he prevented any information from getting out. And brother he didn't, in law. brother in law, who didn't know where she was and stops by to take her back home. Uh, because of the help of her Christmas, Bud Baxter is promoted again from Sheldrake, becoming an executive assistant. Meanwhile, Sheldrake finds out that his secretary told Fran about the thing, and so he fires the secretary. The secretary, in turn, tells Sheldrake's wife that he's been having multiple, multiple affairs. I think it just ends with, like, Sheldrake gets divorced from his wife because she finds out about the affairs, just when Baxter decides that he wants to be with Fran, uh, and he tells Baxter... Hey, I'm going to take Fran off of your hands. She's going to be with me now, because that's what she's wanted all along. And Baxter goes along with it for a bit. Like, he takes the job. Uh, and then later on, when Sheldrake asks for the key again, he's like, Hey, I need to see Fran in your apartment, because now I'm at the YMCA or some athletic club. Then Baxter decides to stand up for himself and be like, nah, I can't let that happen. Sorry. Uh, so it comes ahead of New Year's. Baxter is out of a job for standing up for himself. And Fran is finally with Sheldrake and realizes she doesn't want to be with him. And she'd rather be with Baxter. And then the film ends with them two together on New Year's. Making the joke about the fruitcake. Right. And now let's go on to games. <laughs> That is a concatenated <laughs> form of this film that probably went on for too long. It was uh -huh. way longer than a minute. But let's get into long form. What did you guys see as adults, period? Because you've was, never seen was it Was that before. not the long form? <laughs> that was, but, like, I might cut that down. I don't know. No, I, feel it, like, I, I feel so... like with the blind watches... Because it's nobody's responsibility. The whole idea of the 60-second synopsis is for somebody who's never seen this film, which is all of us in this case, to explain what the film's about before we talk about the minutiae. We're using big words today. Hey, Mark, did, could, did you realize who the, played the boss? Um, the guy from My Three Sons. <laughs> and also that, from The Shaggy Dog and other such things. That's more what I was things. going for. I was like, the Disney movies were more the ones I was going yeah, for. Yeah, well... You guys are talking about Sheldrick? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fred McMurray is known Fred for McMurray. playing like the all-knowing father who is the perfect family guy and uh, blah, 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 which is really weird professor. in this movie. Okay. Because I recognize more of the four executives in the first part where Bud is letting them use his apartment. Because one of them uh, is Darren's boss from Bewitched. So just another businessman. Uh, and another one plays a role in Star Trek where he's the, um, he is the caretaker of Starfleet Academy. Boothby, I think his name is. Anyway. 
I did well. I think I should have recognized the guy from Bewitched, but I didn't really recognize any of the others. But mm-hmm. I, I should. So when we suggested watching the apartment, I said, "Hey, I've heard of that, but I don't think I've seen it." And apparently, I was wrong because I watched it and said, "Hey, I've seen this before." <laughs> oh, <laughs> so... all right. Well, we tried to do a blind watch off a of good faith. I don't least. remember how long ago that was because it has been a while. But... Turns out I didn't know one of the guys who was one of the apartment users because apparently he was on General Hospital for a very long time. Oh, okay. But I, I know him as an old man because he played the grandfather. He was Edward well, Quarterman. I mean, he's certainly not a young man in this film. Well, I mean, he was like in his... When I watched General Hospital, he was like in his 70s. Is that the guy that got Marilyn Monroe? I, I don't even know. I'm just going through, like, Wikipedia, and it just said, this guy's mostly known for playing Edward Quartermain, and I'm like, oh, I know who Edward Quartermain is. I just don't know which one of the executives he was. Oh, I think Quartermain, and for whatever reason, I think of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I don't know. Quartermain was also a literary hero, wasn't he? Yes, he went on adventures. He was kind of like the original Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went through and, two. And he's played by Sean Connery, who's Indiana Jones' dad! <sighs> sure. <laughs> Sorry. Just pe- putting all the pieces together. Anyway, my biggest takeaway from this film... Um, was I went into it with the wrong expectations. Yeah. Because uh, looking at, like, who the writer-director was, who the major star was, I was expecting something along the lines of Some Like It Hot. not something along the lines of Sunset Boulevard, something he also did? Sure, but, like, this is the same director, the same lead star. I was expecting my understanding of this era comes from Some Like It Hot, which was made the year before this was released. So I was expecting, like, upbeat comedy, the, um, like, the vaudeville banter type thing. So you were expecting more cross-dressing fun, a little less someone ending up dead in the pool. I was expecting more comedy. (laughs) More jokes. Because I was expecting, like, the thing I love about Something Like It Hot is there's a joke every second, basically. Like, uh, my favorite one I can remember is, um, yeah, I had to learn water polo as a kid. I drowned three horses before I got it. <laughs> That's such a great movie. But... Would this movie be better if someone ended up dead in the pool at the end? Mm. Yes. I think this this would work really well as a tragedy. And it's a comedy in, like, the Shakespearean sense, where the only difference between a Shakespearean comedy and a tragedy is tragedy, everyone dies at the end, comedy, couples get together. Yes, that is mm-hmm. the, the t- technical literary definition of it being comedy. is just the majority of the characters have what could be described as happy end. So right. your main characters in this have a, I guess, deemed happy ending because they're together. And we should talk about their relationship. That's a big part of the film, but... How about we just talk that Shirley McLean is gorgeous in this movie? She's so pretty. Yes, she was my favorite part of this film. Even though she is so sad, she is also just so real and so sincere in this role. Shirley McLean was very good during this era. Well, so I read a thing, you know, the whole plot thing that we were just talking, like, I, you expect a lot of these classic movies to be that romantic comedy, kind of, at least a lot of the ones that I have watched from that era are romantic comedy, basically. So, especially Jack Lemmon and Wilder directing, you think about that, but a lot, some of the things that I read afterwards were talking about, this was such a well-received thing by critics and audiences because of how it spoke to depression 
and how people react to bad things and all the emotions and I was I, I did not feel anything about that. <laughs> well, like I was ex I guess probably because I was expecting the romantic comedy stuff and Mark. the other the other stuff happened, but at the same time it was just kind of like, well, this I didn't see a lot of like the emotional challenges and changes in the characters that everybody was talking about. I just saw them somebody tried to commit suicide and somebody helped out and that was how it went. Maybe reword that. Yeah, they didn't help the suicide. They did help prevent the suicide. Hey, hey Mark, is it maybe because you haven't cheated on your wife? I mean... Is, is that why you I, don't I would have to know, have I haven't wife, cheated on so... my wife either. That might be it. <laughs> Both of you find a wife Cheat on her, rewatch the movie, see how you feel. Right. I mean, this is certainly a film that makes you feel bad if you're single. Yeah, um, I could relate I more to Baxter than to anybody else, actually. So. I can definitely see that. We'll get into why. But the thing I, I brought up, having like, I didn't get this movie while watching it because I was expecting a romantic comedy. And then I did, then I was like looking over the Wikipedia for writing games and I found like, this won five Academy mm -hmm. Awards the year it came out. This is on America Film Institute's top 100 movies, top 100 laughs, top 100 romantic films. And it's in a book that I have, which is Roger Ebert's The Great Movies. I didn't get why this film was so good, why people remember it. And I know that I'm wrong because, like, <laughs> oh. these institutes that I respect find it to be a great film. So this one you're wrong about, but you're still not going to admit you're wrong about the blind last Blind Watch one. What? No, no, I'm not wrong about that. Oh, you're 100% no, wrong no, no. about that No, no, no. That won awards for makeup, which I, I thought was amazing in the film. That, it is maybe a thing of its time, and we'll get into what, what Roger Ebert found great about this film, but I know I'm wrong because the thing, these institutes that I respect that our great judges of film find this to be among the top hundred movies of, of all time. A lot of people also like the original Wicker Man, and they're a hundred percent wrong about that. that a lot of awful. people like Hercules, so. <laughs> but oh, Mark, we know they're all that. wrong about that. If you yeah, like yeah. a lot of naked singing hippies, fine, watch the original Wicker Man, but that's not my thing. That's fair. All right, so look, I did read Roger Ebert's little essay on this film and part of the reason he found it such a great film and included it on his list of great movies is one it is very iconic for this time period it's a movie about the 1950s that was made in 1960 so like immediately after that period and so part of it is what we see in the film was kind of day-to-day -day life of this time period uh, where people worked for large corporations and they were mostly faceless to that company. Like that institution, there's an opening scene that Ebert looks at where Baxter sits down at his desk and it's like one of a hundred desks in a row uh, on a single floor. It yeah. reminds me a little bit of uh, in The Producers, the musical, when he's singing... Um, the song is I want to be a producer, but he the beginning part of it is, is the unhappy, unhappy, and it's just all of the accountants sitting in a row. It's kind of the same thing where you're just a ton of identical people all with their little counting machines. The other part that he really liked in this film is that it is two people 
trapped in their trapped with the minutiae of their lives because they want to achieve some long distant goal. And Ebert calls it their their jobs, even though uh, Fran her job as an elevator operator it doesn't really relate. But he, she is trying to become Sheldrake's wife and. Baxter is trying to become Sheldrake's assistant, and there's a parallel there where they are both getting strung along by the same man and getting used by the same man. I like that it's, like, they say it's a romantic comedy, but it's very cynical. And depressing. (laughs) So, yes, I I agree this is super cynical, uh, and the word that I kept coming back to for this film is melancholy. This is so um, melancholy. It, but if you go in expecting like an Audrey Hepburn, Sabrina Roman holiday sort of thing, you're going to be confused. If you go in expecting, I don't know, like the 1960s Wes Anderson where there is romance, but everything, everyone's kind of unhappy about it. Yeah, then you'll be like, no, I kind of get this more. I had the advantage of knowing um, a lot about the plot because obviously I've listened to the soundtrack of the musical and I knew there was a lot of messed up relationships. Yeah. Although I did kept, there was part of my brain that kept expecting a Burt Bacharach song to break out and be like, <laughs> say a little prep for you. That does not happen. That only happens in the stage show. But I did have that advantage of kind of having a better mindset going in so i wasn't quite so um genre shocked right and i think that was my big my biggest hurdle with this film was especially towards the end of it i i have in my notes i wrote down what is this film about because (laughs) it i expected it to be about a relationship like most romantic comedies are and they don't get together until the very end and they don't really have a bonding moment until like at least three quarters through the film. Like it's about a relationship, but it's about a relationship like three steps removed, right. like degrees of Kevin Bacon relationship. But it, I mean, it's kind of realistic in that way because he likes her and he he tries to get her on a date and then he finds out that she's with someone else. And then she stands him up, some time passes, he tries to be kind of nice with her again, and then he finds out that she's still with this guy <laughs> who's coming to his apartment, and so he kind of, like, flip-flops if he likes her or not. At one point he says, oh, I used to really like you a lot, but now I just want you to get out of my apartment. And and so you can tell he's kind of over it, and then throughout their nursing her back to health, they kind of both start to like each other again. And just at the point he realizes he loves her, somebody else, that same guy, steals her again, so... Though, during that time period of her recovery, she is still in love with Sheldrake. Yeah. She was... The the reason she committed suicide is that she felt like she was always going to be in love with this guy, and that guy would never marry her. Like, it would never... He would never leave his wife. It's never going to be the relationship she wants it to be, and yet she can't not love this man. And even when she's recovering, she, like, still professes love for this guy who has constantly mistreated her. It It's kind of realistic for, like, dating in a situation where everything, whether it's, like, an office situation or some sort of, um, like, hobby group or team or something where everything's very close and everyone's in business, everyone's business is, like... 
well, I'm dating this guy, but she used to also date this other guy from the office, and she still likes this guy from the office, but he has this other relationship, and now it's all messed up, and I'm like, yeah, you can't avoid all of those, like, past things, because they're all just there in the building. Well, it's the, it's the same concept as the let's just be friends kind of relationship, where you're like, the best friends that talk about everything, but you know that you can never get together because she's in love with this other guy who treats her like trash <laughs> but this uh but even while she is like they're sharing things i don't feel like baxter listens to her because she's pouring her heart out on like previous relationships that she's had and baxter is just constantly like let's get the next hand of this bridge game going oh baxter is a very boring man and he like it seems like he doesn't care about her even while she's recuperating. Everything he's doing to quote-unquote protect her is to protect Sheldrake. It's to prevent the information of the affair getting out. I have a better ending. They both marry him. They both marry Sheldrake. <laughs> okay. Um, sure. They're both in love with him. Oh, yeah. Mm, I don't I don't see Baxter getting much out of that relationship. He, he loves... The power. He he needs mm. attention from people in power. That's why he, he does everything he does. He has a power fetish. So, uh, before we leave this Roger Ebert <laughs> around. Yeah, it's fine. I just want to leave one more thing about he uh, like, what he writes about this film. Uh, it's the final comment Ebert has in his essay, which is, The valuable element in Wilder is his adult sensibility. His characters can't take flight with formula plots because they are weighed down with the trials and responsibilities of working for a living. In many movies, the characters hardly even seem to have jobs, but in the apartment, they have to be reminded that they have anything else. And so, like, I get what Ebert is saying, that this is a non-traditional rom-com, in that, like, Wilder has made his characters realistic for the time period. They are working drones who slave away at their jobs for the hope of something better. Uh, and they don't get it because that's not a realistic situation that would happen during this time period. They both end uh, pretty much unemployed. I don't think Fran's going back to that company. She'll have to find a new elevator. You know, and at the by the end, Baxter is moving out of his apartment because he wants to go find something new and restart his life. So now suddenly, if they're starting a relationship, what happens then? Is she moving with him or did he decide to stay? Because I don't think that ever really... Oh... They're both in New York. I mean, his apartment's still going to be in New York. You don't I'd know that. I'd find a new apartment. Everyone at that office knows where he lives now. I'd find somewhere where they don't. And I guess that kind of tangentially, that's how the word is said, Sarah. <laughs> Thank um, you. Brings me... Uh, don't you mispronounce a ton of stuff off the podcast. It was just my fault for doing it. Yeah, I also mispronounce a lot of stuff on the podcast and I leave it there. He genuinely mis mispronounces things. <laughs> no, just generally. Let's see. Uh, Part of what turned me off of this film watching it was my misunderstanding of rom-com. The other thing was I don't, like, th this situation is gross, right? We can all agree the situation is super gross. And oh, I, I was that a common that thing during that time period, though? Because there are other films kind no, of... No, that's a comedy thing old, now! Older films that gross. that happens in. So I think it was common for higher-ups or really any working man to cheat on his wife occasionally. I don't know if they had a specific meeting point, <laughs> like where 
one guy is basically like the landlord and like working all the schedules, filling all the holes uh, to keep people really? busy in his apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said the thing. <laughs> so like they're having sex in his bed. Right? Maybe his couch. He's basically the pimp or the guy in charge of the pimps. Right, but he's the pimp for his apartment. He's a pimp for the bed and they find their he's own not hookers really a to bring pimp. there. He's kind of just a love hotel. Yeah. Because he's not providing the girls, he's just providing the room. Yeah. The grossest thing to me is like when his when one of the bosses early in the film calls him up and is just like Hey, I was just going to bed. Well, I've got some, I got a lady on the line, so get out of your own bed so I can have sex in it. Like, that is so gross to me. (laughs) I mean, I wonder how often he cleans his sheets. I mean, you gotta imagine it's constantly. The, the man doesn't own a napkin. Uh, he must own like seven sets of sheets. The thing, yeah, I was gonna say, he must own a lot of them if he doesn't wash them that often, but I, what was then at one point they're talking about oh make sure you restock the liquor cabinet and get some of those cheese crackers and blah blah and it's so he's buying all of the food and drinks and supplying it to them as well it as his apartment like they're supposed to be reimbursing him but they're not very good right he's supposed to put it on their account or whatever but like they're never paying him back for the tabs that they've opened because he says something about it in one of the early scenes about well you still haven't paid me back for the last time the other thing is like baxter's using this to get ahead in his company however he's also working extra hours without being paid overtime every night for his company would his work not merit a promotion like if he's going to be doing that anyways why go through the the trouble of being locked out of his apartment when he wants to go home i want to know how this conversation started where he's like well you can use my apartment they they do have an aside it's when he's talking to seldrake oh i forgot that I think he mentioned it at the beginning, wasn't it? I thought, like, he, during his little monologue at the beginning, he talks about, it started when I was in college and something, something. So Sheldrake asked him how the whole thing got together, uh, because he's pieced together that these four execs are doing something little shady. Uh, and Baxter replies, I think Baxter was going out of town, and somebody at the company needed to borrow his apartment to change clothes for some event show, uh, and Baxter's like, sure, no problem. But once he lent his key out once, he felt obliged to keep renting his key out to people. Apparently, once you're nice, you can never say no again. I wouldn't know anything about that. That's because Baxter is so dumb. <laughs> if he wasn't played by a good actor, he'd be the worst character. I don't think he's a very good character. Like, I no, love Jack Lemmon. He's a I bad think Jack character. Lemon- but he'd be I a think worse Jack Lemmon's character. doing a fine job in this, but like Baxter is—he's. Hmm, I don't want to call him an anti-hero, but like we're supposed to root for him because he's the main character I of this film. I don't know if we're supposed to root for him. I think we're just supposed to follow him. So I understood like the comedy in this film, at least as I understood it, was supposed to be like here's a common man who's completely put upon by the world. Because that's not too out of place for, like, comedy protagonists where, like, they have perpetual bad luck or, like, they can never catch a break. The difference here is that he did it to himself. Yeah, and I think there's the element of satire to it, so I don't think we have to root for him. I don't think we have to root for anyone in this necessarily. I think we just have to go with the story. 
don't think you necessarily ah, see, have to but have that's a character boring that you... to me because I think, then I think you do need point? an audience surrogate. Yeah. I don't you think need you do. somebody for the audience to root for to make stakes. Yeah. I don't think so. I've read or not read, well, read and seen quite a few books where everyone's an awful person. Um and you don't necessarily have to like anyone to still enjoy. Maybe it's just cuz I've I've watched a lot of soap operas where everyone's <laughs> terrible and a lot of classic literature that is basically soap operas. Uh Anna Karenina is basically that everyone's awful. Um Gone with the Wind, everyone's basically awful and you're like, I want all these people to be miserable. And so there's no real person like I'm sure some people read One of the Wind and really want Scarlet to have her good life, but I want Scarlet to burn in a fire because she keeps getting her husbands killed. She so almost I did. Don't, well, she hundred percent got one of her kid, her husbands. Uh, well, she and she lost her husband and her kid died, and she deserves all of it, um, all of it. And so I don't necessarily feel like I don't need a good character that I feel sympathy for that I need to be like I want good things to happen to this character. Sometimes I want bad characters. I'm like I hope bad things happen to them. They deserve it. Sure, and, and like, that's the poetic that's the poetic justice of a film. And sometimes there's just average normal people that I hope they have average normal lives and kind of end up just kind of realistically, you know what? By the end of this, they're together, but probably even if they end up married, they'll be divorced in five years, and that's the reality of the world. And that's kind of how this one ends up. Yeah, I guess that might be hmm. That might be like a 1960s sensibility or late 50s where you can have a story that's just about normal people. Uh, though I want to say the in the films of the 80s and 90s, I grew up, that's my time period where I take my film understanding. Like, it's about extraordinary people. It's about ordinary people put in extraordinary situations or like... The hero's journey where it's a normal person where something comes along and they become a great person. And that's so not what this is. But, but there's a kind of element to that in The Graduate as well, where they have that extraordinary moment and then they went, oh no, this is not how it happens in real life. Actually, what's going to happen is we're sitting here on a bus and it turns out we made this extraordinary declaration, but that true life fairy tale romantic moment isn't really what happened. What really happened is we're stuck on a bus and it turns out we might not actually like each other at all. And this is the kind of thing uh. we've we've made this big decision of we quit our job and we're moving from the apartment. Are they going to end up together and like each other? Is Baxter that great a person? Probably not. No. He did a lot of dumb stuff this entire movie. But that's just kind of a bunch of dumb people that got themselves into a bunch of dumb problems. I, I don't disagree with your take on it, though I also don't really like that type of narrative. So it doesn't speak to me as a human being. Well, do you not and like maybe classics? I, I still I agree with that. I haven't seen classics. Uh, though, oh. I think the issue... Did you not issue, get my reference? Have you not seen The Graduate? I, I, I haven't seen The Graduate. Uh, um, it, it could be a blind watch, though you've seen it. I've seen The Graduate. <laughs> Mark has not either. That's why I made the plastics reference. I don't watch film to see real life portrayed. I watch film to see extraordinary stories happen in an imaginary world. Oh, you would hate post-Soviet dramas. <laughs> I probably would. Uh, so, like, I don't watch a fiction film to see what basically could be a documentary. It, it's just not the type of story that speaks to me. I want to see people be extraordinary in film and show us what life could be, possibly. And this is just showing us what life is during this era, and it's super depressing. 
Well, not all of it. Sure, if you're a high-level executive, you get to sleep with whoever you want. Well, I mean, <laughs> some people were, like, out being hippies in communes and just, like, making out with each other, but... Also, housing was affordable, so that's something I can look forward to for this time period. <laughs> Depending on who you were. Well, even Baxter, in his original position, at the beginning of the film, he gives his weekly salary and the amount he's paying for rent... He's taking home a lot of money, mm. and that goes a real long way in 1959. He's living in New York. Yeah, but, like, his apartment is 85 a month. He's making, like, $95 a week. So he's paid off rent with one week's salary. And in New York, that's... And his apartment looks pretty nice! Yeah, it's not bad for a bachelor apartment. No. And, like, as a lot of the men who brought women back to there have said, it's so nice and cozy. And he doesn't have a roommate? It's fine. Yeah. It's doing great. It could used to be less of a boring accounting insurance person, but... So, I think, in your point, how this film does depict a real-life narrative, as opposed to a fantastic people in a fantasy world type narrative, that may also be why I have trouble with it. Because it does portray a single man in bad situations... Like, who has given up on love, and is just like, well, I guess I'll let all these other people... Carl, this whole thing is just like, do you, you and Mark need to talk this out at the end of this? Talk about <laughs> no. your feelings? Apparently Carl does. I think it is particularly bad because of the time period we are living through right now. Oh, are you sad and single and trapped in your house? I am single, and I'm trapped in my house, and I am isolated. And you've given up on love? This is a... Well, I've given up on dating sites. <laughs> you don't want Which to be bagel almost and the same it, thing. But you're gonna buy a doll. Yes. Because that's That will be your love. But yes, the dog will love me. Why wouldn't the dog love me? Am I gonna get rejected by dogs? I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe. we'll enough. see. Anyway. But <laughs> um so this also takes place during like the holiday season. And there's a huge yeah, it's disconnect. Time. There's a huge disconnect when we see Baxter going home after the Christmas party because he can't go home because Sheldrick is there and he goes and gets a drink and gets drunk and comes home late at night where his apartment isn't really that decorated for the holiday season. And there's a disconnect between that and what we see of Sheldrick's home when he calls and we see how he, Sheldrick is playing with a, a new toy with his kids. It's all decorated for the holidays. I totally forgot my favorite scene, which is him talking with the married woman in the bar. Yes. That is, that is, there are very few parts in this film that elicited a laugh out loud <laughs> moment from me. The lady at the bar is definitely one of them. But this, the world that it is depicting is the world of a single bachelor where he goes to work and he's got nothing else going on so he'll just work a little bit more and then when he comes home he reheats a 1950 version of a kid cuisine uh and then watches the, the television TV dinner carl sure <laughs> kid cuisine. that's been my experience with them because no. i cook for myself i'm one step above this guy but it still reminds me that i'm only one step above this guy is this <laughs> I think so. Like when when his neighbor berates him for not owning napkins, he says, "Well, I have paper towels. I don't own napkins." <laughs> why why use napkins? You have paper towels. It's true, Mark. So, yes. Do you have napkins? No. <laughs> I think part of my dislike for this film is perhaps that it it hits a little bit close to home for me. 
we are we are all single and i am the least depressed about this <laughs> i'm not but depressed are, about it you are perhaps the most recently single. that is true um no but the lady the lady at the bar is my favorite scene it has one of my favorite lines which is when he when he says i think are you talking about the her comment on a dictator no i do like her talking about the dictator and then saying <laughs> okay. something about her husband has been being in jail, yeah. but it didn't have to do with the dictator. It had oh, something okay, to do with the motorcycle. My favorite, line, but that's my not favorite the one. line is the dictator. It said something about, I didn't say there was anyone waiting for me. I said I couldn't go back to my apartment. <laughs> but the whole, her whole story about, but her husband being, where was he? In Cuba? Oh, she, she's talking. He's in Cuba because she's talking about Castro. My favorite line is her talking about Castro. He's like, because she brings it up apropos of nothing to Jack Levin. She's like, have you heard of this Castro guy? I think he's a real fink. I wrote him last week and he hasn't gotten back to me. And then she's talking about like her husband down there in jail and something about, was it asking if he was a drug runner or something like that? And he's like, no, no. Something, and then something about a motorcycle. I couldn't tell you. And she's just like, she has this whole thing conversation that she's talking about, about why her husband's in jail and stuff about Castro and stuff about Cuba. And it's just insane. <laughs> I don't, I still don't understand why he even took her home with him because it seems like he was not interested at all. And oh, then they not. were still hanging out all night just because he couldn't go home. And then when he finally did go home, he's like, well, come on, everybody else is doing it when they're married, so... I think he was bitter and sad. Yeah, I think he was sad and alone and drunk, is why he brought that woman back to his apartment. Uh, so that, when he gets back to the apartment, um, we should talk about this because it is a prolonged sequence. And part of the reason that I don't consider this movie a comedy in that it has a very real depiction of what it's like to recover from a suicide attempt. Uh, I was reading a thing that said they brought in real doctors on the set to to train the guy how to act like a doctor, and they were the <laughs> ones that told him to slap her, and he, there were actually real slaps across her face. And after the scene, they were gonna they they were checking her out and decided they weren't gonna take any second shots of it because her face was so red. <laughs> so that's funny because um, another real punch in this is when her brother-in-law comes. Uh, Jack Lemon was supposed to, like, dodge or something and uh, fake the punch, but it turned out to be a real punch. The shot with the real punch is the one they left in the film. Which, I mean, if your actor gets punched in the face, you might as well leave the real one in the film. So, I don't love, it. it again, expecting this to be a comedy. This scene, I wasn't expecting to go as long as it did. I wasn't expecting her journey through this process to be as troubling and realistic as it is because i was expecting okay doctor's gonna come in she's going to uh be forced to vomit up the sleeping pills that she took and she'll spend the night recovering but it goes to like she throws up the pills and then they also have to keep her awake because if they don't keep her awake she's going to die uh and so he has to like force coffee down her mouth and then like they both have to pick her up and kind of march around the room just to get her heart rate moving and to a point where like she can rest without dying and it is a long protracted scene where she is 
in danger. Uh, and one of the screenwriting books I have and have read, like one of the cardinal rules for comedy is anything's fine in a comedy, but nobody gets hurt. Like nobody is actually physically harmed by things. You can see a character uh, that gets hit by a car or a building and falls to the ground. But the next second, second they're supposed to get back up. And that's the comedic part of it. Without that, it just is sad and horrible to watch. I guess I didn't really mind that so much. But then the part, the, the maybe the thing, I guess it would, doesn't really make it a comedy. But then like the next day, his neighbor is complaining to him about how he was up all hours banging around in his apartment. <laughs> so uh, talking about hit, all the marching sounds going back and forth all night and... I don't know if that is if that relieves it and makes it a comedy again, but yeah, I think um, a cynical farce on a romantic comedy, as Sarah said, may be more apt, especially with some of uh, Shirley MacLaine's lines, where when asked about why she carries a broken mirror, she replies, "Oh, it makes me look the way I feel." Uh, and l- the day after her attempt, where she is, you know, being spoon-fed soup and playing cards in bed because she can't get up and walk around, she asks Jack Lebon, why didn't you just let me die? It's just like, she is such a realistic, sad character. I couldn't get past the sadness of both of these characters to appreciate any comedy in this film. I got nothing. <laughs> uh, that's fair. What are you, texting over there? Oh, I was trying to look up that quote about okay. Castro, but the only lines they <laughs> they give me for the lady is the... The, the one quote was, I said I have no family. I didn't say I had an empty apartment. Ah, yes. Jack Lemon slide. But I can't find her whole speech about Castro. <laughs> the most important lines of the I show. No. Well, they were, like, legit laugh-out-loud moments. The other one I had is when uh, he gets his first promotion. He gets his office. And he buys his, uh, his bowler hat, his business hat. Um, and just when he's trying it on, he like swings something around like he was Charlie Chaplin. I was taken aback at it, wasn't expecting it, and it, it was a real laugh for me. Do you want a business hat? I don't know. Mark, Mark wears the bowlers. I don't think I could wear a business hat. Yeah, you do like flat cap. I do like flat caps. He's I made one blinder. the other day. Yes, that was a nickname in college <laughs> when that show didn't exist yet. Yeah, you just said that because you squinted a lot in the sun. Yes. <laughs> well, also, I gotta protect my bald head. Not in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are there anything else we wanted to get to? I guess my major notes was, in large strokes, Jack Lemon, really sad. Uh, this relationship between these few people, I don't really buy it. Uh, and then, uh, it's not really a comedy. So for well, a romantic comedy, it's not really a romance or a Yeah, comedy. that's kind of... I didn't feel the romance at all, and then they get to the end, and suddenly, like, she's back with Sheldrake, and they're out for New Year's, and he tells her the story about Baxter quit his job because... Uh, because he had asked to use the apartment with her, and she hears the story, and suddenly she's like, "Oh, he cares about me. I'm gonna leave you and go back to him." And I don't, I don't know. I didn't really feel anything about it except for the whole part where Jack Lemon is rehearsing the speech he's going to give to Mister Sheldrake because he realized he's in love with her. Maybe they just end up together because they're he's the only one who hasn't cheated on anyone. Well. He tried. <laughs> he technically he was, he wasn't married though, so it's not cheating. He wasn't cheating, but he was going to participate in that wife's cheating. Well, as well, what are you supposed to do when your husband's in jail in Cuba? <laughs> I don't know. Write more letters to Fidel Castro. The best part but is, but he won't answer. 
sir. When they get back to the apartment and he finds um what's her face in his bed he starts Fran. he goes to get the doctor and kicks out the floozy and <laughs> and she's like oh wait till my husband hears about this or something and it's like you're the one who started this whole thing in the first place we gotta correct you there he doesn't run to the neighbor first he picks up the phone as if like he's going to call uh, an emergency hospital that yeah. can deal with this, and then decides, "Oh wait, my boss might not like that. I'll go get my neighbor." Yeah. So I think one of the lines I had is, um, uh, "Maybe in the beginning of the film he was a sap. Later in the film he's just an ass." Because like the way that he's treating this woman is not great. Wait, wait, who are we talking about? When. Jack Lemon Baxter is taking care of Fran after her suicide attempt. He continually prevents information of what happened from getting out because she tries to call her family and tell them where she is and why she didn't come home last night. And he says, well, you better get your story straight first. When they're going to start asking a lot of questions and you got to be prepared to answer them. And that's like super manipulative for not for her benefit, but for the benefit of his boss. And we didn't mention this earlier. The very first time that he's like flirting with her and asks her out, he starts, "Oh, well, you live with your parents, and this is your address." And she's like, "Well, how do you know that?" "Oh, I looked up all your insurance information, and I know all this stuff yeah. about you and your family." And she just laughs about it and acts like, "Oh, that's so sweet of you." Yeah, I wrote that down in my notes. Is that oh, that's a real rookie mistake. Yeah. You, you never let them know how much you know about them, even if you know everything about them. But why would she think it's so sweet of him to have looked it up in the first place? It just seems more stalker-ish. Because he doesn't say, hey, I saw it because I had to look it up for something for work. He says he went out of his way to look it up. Because it'd be one thing to say, like, I had to go through the employee records and yours happened to be one of them. It was, I oh. went through your personnel file is so much worse. Yeah, because they perfectly could have said, like, Hey, I had to go through employees, whatever, when I was doing stuff, and yours happened to be in that there. That makes sense. And that would have been a reason why he knew all that stuff, but wasn't creepy. It was just accidental. But he's like, oh, I went and looked up your file one day. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> the, other, the other really, well, intentionally bad relationship in this is with uh, Sheldrake and Fran, where they're in the apartment just for the suicide attempt, where they exchange gifts, uh, and she has bought him a record of the music that plays at the restaurant that he always takes her to. And so it's a meaningful thing. He ha she hands him the records like, wow, that's so great, but we're going to have to leave it here. Uh, and then he hands her her gift, which is just a hundred dollar bill because she knows what she likes. Why doesn't she just go out and buy it? To be fair, I do that a lot with family members. We just give each other money because we figure we'll get something hey, that we like. But family members is fine. In a dating Significant relationship, others or is bad. Yeah. Although a hundred dollars at this time was a lot of money. So <laughs> sure, but cash as a gift to someone you were pretending to care about lets them know you don't really care them. Yeah. Care about them? There we go. I don't really care them. I don't really care them. <laughs> All right. Oh, I did want to talk a little bit more about Sheldrake because I do... Was it Fred McMurray who's playing this? Mm -hmm. I really liked his performance in that when he is with Fred, I am almost convinced 
in what he is saying to her. Uh, because we're seeing the larger narrative, I know everything he's saying is lies to her, but it is delivered so well that I want to believe those lies. Like, I can definitely see him getting into this sort of situation because I, I was smooth talked by the guy. <laughs> if he told me he's going to leave his wife, I might get strung along for a couple of months, is what I'm saying. I, which, um, again, researching, apparently when the movie came out, he was getting a lot of dirty looks and some lady actually slapped him once on the street because of how he acted in this movie. <laughs> yes, couldn't dissociate the actor from the role. Well, we have amazingly reached the end of my notes before the two hour mark. <laughs> I think it's, it's because our 60-second synopsis turned into a five-minute synopsis, and we already knew the whole movie by then. Would you like me to explain Turkey Lurkey Time now? Yes, please. What is Turkey Lurkey Time, and how does it relate to the apartment specifically? So, in Promises, Promises, at the end of Act 1 is the Christmas party, which is where Fran finds out about that she's not the only affair that the boss has been having. In the show at the Christmas party... They weren't quite sure how to end that scene. They didn't have a whole lot of time, but they weren't quite sure how to wrap up that scene. So what came about was the cult hit Turkey Lurkey Time, which is a a number that takes place at the Christmas party, which basically is several of what is like the office secretaries come forward and say they're part of the entertainment committee for the party. They come forward, start singing and dancing to this song called Turkey Lurkey Time, and by the end of it, the entire office party is singing and dancing this song. The thing that's about it is, one, it's insane. Yes. And two, apparently the choreography was so intense and like frantic movement that on several of the versions of this show, they had to have chiropractors on staff because the three um, dancers that were in the entire scene, these secretaries, were hurting their necks because the choreography was so jerky and intense. Ooh. But they did it for the Tonys that year, that 1960, later 60s when the show came out, and they did it for the Tonys. And it, it's just this crazy scene that like kind of comes out of nowhere because the song affects the plot not so whatsoever because it's just, we're at a party. Right, we're gonna, it's like, a filler song in a musical. Yeah, it's basically like office karaoke. It's, it's really crazy, so... That's how it's related to the apartments. It's from the musical version, and it is real weird. I recommend you look it up. It's on YouTube. <laughs> All right. So before we get to, I guess, the very end, my my last note is the iconic line at the end because of Billy Wilder films. This is as iconic as the one at at, at the end of Some Like It Hot. But did we not talk about any character that you guys liked? Because there are so many characters in this to dislike. Uh, Jack Lemon among them. I kind of liked the doctor guy. I don't okay. really have any specific notes about him, but he was at least like, I don't know. I don't know what about it. He, I think it was nice though that he, so you, you see them early on complaining to, he's talking to his wife or the wife, some, somehow they're talking about all of the action going on in this other apartment and they are they under the assumption just... that it's all Jack Lemon. Right. I did love that running gag where because he has different men, bringing their illicit affairs to his apartment every night, his neighbors do assume that he is some sort of bachelor sex machine. <laughs> At one point, the doctor asks him if he will donate his body to science <laughs> when he dies. <laughs> right, exactly. 
And I don't understand why Jack Lemon like, he keeps up that ruse when the doctor comes over to help Fran for a suicide attempt. He even keeps up the ruse, like, towards the end of the film, where it's New Year's, and he's already left his job, and he's packing up stuff in his apartment, Mm -hmm. where... It doesn't matter anymore, but he just loves being thought of at, at, at as a sex machine. And so he just doesn't give up that ruse. It continues throughout the entire film. Uh, but then, so even a lot of times the doctor and his wife are kind of lecturing him about his lifestyle and how he should be a better man and etc. Mm-hmm. But yet when there is an emergency, they are right there ready to help out. And oh, at, the, at the end, when people. he's trying to move out of his apartment, there the doctor is there and says, well, we sure will miss you. It was great having you here. And he just seems like a, a nice neighbor to have. Yeah, like they, they definitely seem like the real down to earth in a film where it is so many people like trying to get ahead or trying to get a better life and doing weird things or unethical things to do that. Like, I did like that there was a linchpin to it where... This family, who lives next to him, are legitimately good human beings, and, like, they're not involved in the corporate machine, like, the the guy is a, um, uh, what's that called, a doctor who travels to people's homes, what is that called? House call? Yeah, sure, he's got a private practice who does house calls. Practor? Practice. There we go. (laughs) He's a tractor! Uh, He's got a private tractor that he rides the house calls. It's very slow for the medical emergencies. He should get a different vehicle. He's a concierge doctor. But like, he's not in the corporate machine and he's like, he just seems so genuine and nice. And his wife brings over food for Fran, who is recovering, even though she really doesn't approve of Jack Lemon. Ah. It was it was refreshing in this film to have some likable characters. You brought up about some like it hot had the iconic end line. Yes, Sunset Boulevard also has an iconic end line. So is that just he? That's has just some, Billy Wilder. Yeah, it just yeah. has an iconic end line for like every movie. Does anyone know double ed- I- indemnity? Thank you. Has <laughs> one. I don't. I have not seen it. Uh, yeah, so, like, of the main cast, we, we already brought it up, but I think the only person I rooted for, the person I cared about, was maybe Fran. Yeah. Like, because she does, I love her performance in that, or maybe it's just the character and the writing and whatnot, where she's not a ditzy telephone operator. She understands and she's cynical about her own situation in that she never asked the guy to leave his wife. She never, she hopes in her subconscious that she'll become his wife, but he also, she also realizes that she's being strung along. And that's her major conflict. And that seems like a really interesting complex character for the other woman, uh, in an affair. Cause so often other women are portrayed as well. They're just sex pots who are trying to lure married men away from their wives. Or just really angry at Kath. Could be. I mean, well, like you said, you know, he's really good at his uh, persuasions, his sweet talking or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, Sheldrake. Uh, yeah, and like the one point when they're at the restaurant and he explains to her, well, I, you know, it, we've been married for so many years, I can't just bring that up. I have to, you know, we have to, it's a, it's a process. I have to kind of work into it and it can't just happen overnight. And I, th- I feel like that's something... For people who are having an affair, that's kind of the line that they give. 
<laughs> right. And then, but, you know, at Mark one point, know. he finally, yeah, right? She, We've talked about Mark Zero affairs. Um, <laughs> so, but then the point that he gets kicked out by his wife, and suddenly he's like, well, I'm going to be back to her, but there's no reason I can't go be a bachelor in the meantime, or whatever he says right. about that. But he, to me, I can't. I guess there was a point in the film where I kind of felt legitimately that he was working towards a divorce so that he could be with her because it seemed like he cared. But then there are other times where it seems like he's just playing her. So, Oh, you're in love with him. Huh? Well, me and Mark are in love with him. We're in a love triangle. Oh, yes. And like me and Mark will end up together because that's how this film ends. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I always knew that. <laughs> right, right. You She's been saying that for years, you know. That's... That is actually true. <laughs> oh, I guess the, um, while we were talking about, like, kind of behind the scenes thing, uh, the scene in the beginning, I read something about that, where it is the, they look into an office where it seems like this ninth floor or 19th floor, whatever Baxter works on, just has office drones, like, it is an entire floor of desks, and it goes on in one huge, long line. Um, the way that they shot this, because they didn't have an entire floor of a building, uh, was to use forced perspective. And so it starts at Baxter's desk, which is a full-size desk, and then as it goes back, the desks look slowly and slowly get smaller and the people sitting at them get smaller as well so much so that the very final desk where somebody is sitting in like all of those are children like it's just children in business suits in the background of this film which i don't know child labor laws in the 1950s maybe they were actual employees anyway it does seem like we're wrapping up our long form of this let's get to the the final line which i love in this film like as much as i struggle with them getting together because fran does have that realization kind of out of the blue that she loves baxter i do love the final line where they're continuing a bridge or rummy game they started earlier uh and he jack lemon openly declares his love for her she's just like shut up and deal which i i I feel like that's also what all the executives have been saying to him when he complains. <laughs> and now I can look forward to his wife saying that for the rest of his life. Or five years is what Sarah gives him. Remember, when you have trouble with exes, send him a fruitcake. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Now, this is a time period where fruitcakes are not an insult. Uh, but like, <laughs> I've never known anyone who likes a fruitcake. My grandmother. Okay. She gets a fruitcake every year. But, like, if I was sent a fruitcake from somebody that I knew who I was into who got married, I would assume they did not like me <laughs> and that it was a punishment. <laughs> Which, actually, I, I we didn't really talk about that scene earlier. One of the ways that he consoles her after her attempted suicide was to talk about the time that he attempted suicide. Right. And I, so this was what he fell in love with his best friend's wife or something. And so he realized it couldn't happen and was so depressed. He went out and bought a gun and it's, well, then he couldn't bring himself to shoot himself in the head. And a policeman showed up because he was just sitting in a parked car and the policeman was wondering what was going on. So he tries to hide the gun and shot himself in the leg. And apparently this was like, she just starts laughing about it. Like it's this big yeah. joke. Because oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's played for laughs in the film. Like, they openly talk about his suicide attempt. 
Uh, and it's a, it's a joke in this film. And then what is it at the end, uh, after the New Year's party, she's running back to his apartment and you hear a bang in the apartment building and she freaks out and runs to the door and asks how he's doing. And he says, oh, I'm fine. And she says, well, how's your knee? <laughs> and, and he is holding a bottle of champagne. He is just on court. Yes. Alrighty. Let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game, a game in which we put together two or more properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. All right, so I will be starting us off here, uh, telling our listeners what the apartment is in terms of other things. I'm going to pay attention this time. All right. So, since this is a property set in the 1950s New York where a man becomes a high-level executive at his company, and every manager seems to be involved in multiple affairs, and a romantic comedy set in New York where two people discuss their love lives and depths and decide they won't be together, only to find themselves in love with each other on New Year's Eve. Glengarry Glen Ross. Nope. <laughs> I just felt like saying Glengarry. Why? I don't know. Uh, it, I want to say You've Got Mail for the second one, but I don't think that's correct. Ooh, same lead actress. Oh, sli- Sleepless in Seattle? No, because it's in New nope. York. <laughs> Um, that was my first thought also, but it was in New York. (laughs) What else has meant, uh... Uh, two people who decide they'll never be together and then end up together anyways. Oh, oh, that one with Hugh Jackman. Nope. (laughs) But doesn't, doesn't he, they decide he's going to go back to his own time, but then she decides she's going to end up with him? What is that, the time traveler's wife? No, Kate and Leopold. Okay, it's also not that. I'm running out of (laughs) crying. I mean, I could give you a line for the film, but it's a dead giveaway. Oh, oh, when Harry met Sally. Correct. Mm, that when wouldn't Harry have been a Sally giveaway for me then, because I've never seen that. What, were you going to oh, make on. sex noises I'll, in the... I wasn't going to make sex... I was going to do Rob Reiner's mom's line, which is, I'll have what she's having. That means nothing to me. All right, uh, the first one is a TV show, not a movie. Mad Men. Correct. It is Mad Men meets When Harry Met Sally. Just because that rolls off the tongue real nice. All right, Mark, go ahead. Oh, right. I have a to-do a thing. Sorry, I'm distracted by... Glengarry Glen Ross. Coffee's for closers! Uh, all right. <laughs> she on your laptop? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, <clears throat> because this is a movie where Jack Lemon portrays a fastidious bachelor who reluctantly shares his apartment with other men due to an <laughs> inability to stand up for himself. Wonder mm-hmm. what that is. Yeah. And... Uh, a film that served as an inspiration for the apartment, in which a married man carries on an affair and uses a friend's apartment to meet the woman. Oh, I do think I read something about this. Was yeah. the film that you found uh, taken from the Wikipedia article? It was taken from IMDb, but it's probably right. the same well, one. Well, the first one is obviously The Odd Couple. Correct. Did you know that Neil Simon helped write the Promises Promises? Did you know Did that know I've that. never seen Wait, the musical um, or heard the song? Is the... I just thought I'd bring up Neil Simon. <laughs> hmm. The only thing I'm finding that Wikipedia article is Brief Encounter. Correct. Yeah, I didn't think we would really get that without looking it up because it's probably sure. not one that any of us have heard of before. But I saw several places that were talking about that as the inspiration for uh, the director when he wanted to make this movie. Seriously? 
Alright, while I cut out Sarah's audio here, I'll tell our audience about uh, some other Wikipedia notes, things that it is based on. Because yes, it was The Brief Encounter, uh, but also uh, it was partially based on a real-life Hollywood scandal uh, in which a high-powered agent, Jennings Lang, was shot by producer Walter Wagner for having an affair with Wagner's wife. And during the affair, Lang used a low-level employee's apartment. Uh, Another point of reference is uh, based on experience of one of... I guess, oh, Diamond was another producer. Uh, one of Diamond's friends who returned home after breaking up with his girlfriend to find that she had committed suicide in his bed. Yeah, those were the so same ones So it makes that sense that this, uh, makes sense this film had such a, um, uh, a real feeling to it, but given that it was based on two very real life stories. Anyway, Sarah, go ahead with your game. A movie where a young man in an office tries to work his way up the corporate ladder, meets a movie where Shirley MacLaine gets real just bad stuff happened to her by men. Oh boy, <laughs> I think I know the first one. Is it the secret of my success? No, but one of those words is correct. Well, kind of correct. <laughs> that helps. The root word, the root is it word my? Is... <laughs> no. Well, it was, it was close to correct. It was... I will also say... Musical is involved. Oh, um, now I want to say a chorus line. What? Um, I don't know. She. What does that have to do with business? Show business. <laughs> young man working right, way. Young up- man, I forgot about young. Young man. man. I mean, there are young men in chorus line. A young oh. man working <laughs> Sorry, his way. The, trying did the to village work, people have a musical? Trying to work his way up the corporate ladder. Uh, business involves business. business. It's got to be business. It also involves a book. Book of business. The big book of business. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just enjoying listening to Carl guess all of these things. <laughs> the Book of Mormon. <laughs> it's not. It's a musical. Okay. It is a musical. It's not a young man. Had Harry Potter in it at one point. Equus? The Harry Potter musical? <laughs> no. The play he did after Equus. <laughs> oh, I never saw it. I didn't see Equus either. Sure. <laughs> I Harry Potter and the Secret people. of Business. Business is one of the words in the title. Wait, wait. Just Harry Potter and the Secret of My Success. <laughs> you got anything, Mark? I have nothing. I don't watch musicals. No, I don't know what this is. You, you'll probably say I don't know it. How does it succeed at business without really trying? I have okay. heard of that. And the yeah. second one is a Shirley MacLaine movie where it doesn't turn don't... out well for her. I'll also tell you, this is another musical. All right, I'm going to look up McLean movies because I don't really know her in things. <laughs> she was in Steel I Magnolias, but it wasn't that one. Else either. Hmm. I bet it'll come up as one of her top movies. Is it The Trouble with Harry? <laughs> no, but that's the one with the dead body. Hey. Um, ooh, boy. Is it Being There? No. It's not. But Ocean's it's a film 11. I've heard of. <laughs> no. Is it uh, Woman Times Seven? No. Is it Bruno? I'm looking at her movie list. Uh, Similar time period. Um, is it I'm a La Douche? Or I'm a douche in America, perhaps? Is it Terms of Endearment? I feel like one of the things I read talked about this, but I don't remember what the name of the movie was. Um, Hey, have you given up? Or do you want to say some more funny words? Oh, I gave up. I gave up long ago. Can say some more funny words if you like. Yeah, I'm done. The movie is Sweet Charity. That 
that was going to be my next guess, but I was going to say it as sweet charity. Um, uh, bah, 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 bah. Have you ever heard the the song uh, Hey Big Spender? Oh, hey, sure. Spend. Yes, that one. Spend That's a from that. Time on me, sure. I know that one from Homer singing it during sweet. an episode of a yard sale. Sweet Charity is kind of similar to um, Pretty Woman, but if Pretty Woman doesn't get the rich man in the end, and instead of that gets pushed into a pond. That sounds like a Charlie Chaplin movie. Um, Both the beginning and the end of the show involve her getting broken up with and shoved into a pond. She is also a, um, like a... a, Well, clearly she has a type. She's kind of a sexy go-go dancer, stripper sort of thing. Sure. But she also gets pushed into a pond, so... Sorry, Shirley MacLaine! Sorry you get pushed into a pond! That's how she's treated poorly by men? Oh, no, but she's also this, like, pretty woman prostitute who gets picked up by this rich man, and you think there's... Because, yes, you were dancing around it Um, as if there was some sort of You think she's actually, they're gonna end up together, like, in Pretty Woman, where he's gonna, like, bring her up in the world. But no, in the end, he just is like, turns out, turns out I can't end up with this, this lower class girl, I'm gonna... I can't, I can't, um, stay with you. I'm going to push you in a pond. <laughs> that seems like the right solution. What, what was the first one? How to succeed in business without really trying. Meets sweet charity. charity. There we go. All right. My next one here. So since this is a film set in New York, where an employee puts up with excessive demands and humiliating treatment by their boss to advance in the business, but decides to leave the company in the end as a matter of pride. And a movie where a man allows a lot of other people into his home in order to have sex, oh, in order to have sex secretly, and profits through their debauchery. Profit? Profit. I saw Goody Proctor making a profit! That's a poppet, but... Okay. (laughs) Mouse hunt. Ooh. To be fair, I didn't listen to the first one, so I can't remember. I just said no. Oh, wait, was Mouse Hut your guess? I thought that's where I saw the preacher doing a pop. It was no, from. That's from the Crucible. All right, I read that once in high school. Give me a break. In that play. I never read it, but I did see the play. All right, uh, first one excessive demands, humiliating treatment by a boss. Think really bad boss movie. Bad boss? Horrible yeah, that's bosses. what I was going to say. Uh, this is only one bad boss, and it's based on a true story. Devil Wears Prada! Correct. Alright, uh, second one, man allowing people in his home in order to have sex secretly. That he can have sex secretly, or they can have sex? So that they can have sex secretly. Though this is all over one night, and he turns his house into a brothel. Best Little Whorehouse. That's not the plot of Best Little Whorehouse. I feel like for us, a hint for us and not for audiences, we considered doing this film as a blind watch, I think, and then Sarah vetoed it. Brazil. No, that's not the plot of Brazil. <laughs> Maybe okay, I it's don't a know. Blind if you watch. I don't know the not. plot. Was it the one that she mentioned earlier? Oh, oh, I, I know. I know. It's risky business, isn't it? It is risky business. It's the Devil Wears Prada meets risky business. And all I knew of risky business was the classic scene of him sliding out to old time rock and roll. And not about the brothel part and not about having sex on the train. Right. All right. Mark, that was also the only part of that movie that Mark knows. So. <laughs> Hence the sex on the train or the, the underwear scene? The underwear, of course. This is why I vetoed it. Uh, Everybody knows the underwear scene. It's like the yes! same as the volleyball scene. Wait, the underwear scene from Pretty in Pink, or is that Sixteen Candles? Sixteen Candles underwear scene. I can't ever tell them apart. Yeah, they're basically the same film. Which one had the racist character and which one had Ducky? 
both. Was Ducky not the racist character? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, Ducky's the love interest boy, right? Ducky, or no, he's... Ducky's uh, the guy from Two and a Half Men who was supposed to be the love interest, but didn't he didn't get the approval. Charlie Sheen? Okay. No, the other one. <laughs> oh. Um, And then... That Wang, guy that where knows. is my automobile? No, that's Pretty in Pink. Sixteen Candles is where... um. Anthony Michael Hall, and then they have the racist foreign exchange student, right? Yeah. Oh, no, it's it's not Wang, it's Dong. Dong. Dong, where is my automobile? <laughs> anyway, Mark, please go Let's ahead. Let's go to this movie. Take us away from this racist tangent, please. Here's another one that oh, you Dougie. will get immediately. Uh, Jack Lemmon. Like Gary Glenwood. Jack Lemmon stars in a film where two men are fighting for the affections of the same woman. After a flip, mm-hmm. she flip-flops between the two of them, Lemmon's character ends up with the girl. Meets a classic film involving the protagonist falling in love with a woman while nursing her back to health in his apartment after an attempted suicide. Now, the first one I'm thinking of, Lemmon doesn't end up with the girl. No, Lemmon gets the first girl, right? Hmm? Matthew gets the second girl. Oh, you're thinking of a different film. Because the film I'm thinking of doesn't have Walter Matthau. Well, it sounds like Sarah's thinking of the correct film. <laughs> Sarah, what are you thinking I'm of? thinking of Grumpy Old Men. Correct. Ah, all right. What well, was, I was wrong. What was, Let's get to... Oh, were you it, Were you thinking of Some Like It Hot? I was. Because I wanted to use that one and couldn't figure out how. So. Well, I'll show you how in my next one. Um, so... So, Grumpy Old Men what, meets blank. What was the second one? Give us a... <laughs> Something about... Uh, film nursing worth, uh, a suicide nursing Oh, yeah, Suicide back Lady life. Back to Life. Yes. Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> that wasn't really suicide. All right, Snow White, then. That also was not suicide. <laughs> it should be pretty easy. Titanic. Doesn't you try to jump off a boat? I, I haven't I seen that movie. No, she's to, not trying to swan dive off the front of the boat. No, that's... When he her when she's no, she was going to jump that. off the back. See, right. I'm not crazy. All right, sure. I haven't seen that whole movie. This is it's a movie fine. that I know for sure Carl has seen, and I think Sarah probably has. Oh, all right. But the lady doesn't go through with the suicide, but finds a passed out character on her bed, or at least mostly paralyzed. Am I thinking of a different thing? I don't know. What are you thinking You of? must be thinking of a different thing, because Mark knows definitely both of us have seen that movie. Also, we've done that movie for this podcast. That is true. I was thinking of The Princess Bride. That's in not my it. defense. Buttercup does talk but about suicide. It may she also gets back. be a movie we've done for the podcast. Then, okay. Oh, but it must be an episode I wasn't on. Oh, that could be anything. <laughs> well, it's not Ant. <laughs> I don't know, Mark. Oh, you're gonna have come to on. Tell me. Uh, I think it was the last episode we did. Just us two. Yes. What was the last episode? I wasn't there. Wait, Vertigo? Hooray! <laughs> yeah, I forgot that her... Uh, I mean... That's a very convoluted suicide attempt, yes. but yes. Yes, yes, yes. I understand where It was more going. about the fact of him falling in love with her while nursing her back to health, but... That makes sense. Yeah. I see where you're going with it. That was a good call. So that was... That was Grumpy Old Men Meets Vertigo. Perfect. Sarah, did you come up with any, or am I going to do my last one? I didn't come up with any. Alright. <clears throat> God. <clears throat> you good? You dying? A little bit. Just a little bit. You dead, Mom? You need... You need the, I was about to say, do you need the lucky egg? Yeah, man. Kiss the egg. Alright, my last one here. A Jack Lemmon film where his job is to sell something over the phone, but he is an underappreciated employee mistreated by his boss, suffering through it to make a big play and advance, only to leave the company unceremoniously at the end. 
Meets, a film by Billy Wilder where a woman is continually lied and lied to and manipulated by multiple men, but ends up falling in love with one of them anyways. And the film ends with an iconic line spoken to Jack Lemmon by a person in love with him. <laughs> um, I think between the two of you, you got this. Is well, it Glengarry Glen Ross? It is Glengarry Glen Ross. And it's also Some Like It Hot. Correct. It is Glengarry Glen Ross meets Some Like It Hot. One of those guys likes it hot. Anyway. Let's go on to our second game, which is alternate taglines, a word or phrase you would see in the movie poster for the film, which encapsulates the theme, though possibly misses the point. Alright, my first one here is a thought, oh, that I didn't bring up, but I'll, I'll elaborate after saying this line. It's a line, or a thought that just kept occurring to me while watching this film. It is simply, the apartment. Just go to a motel! Because between the four executives, they have to have enough money to pull together to rent a different apartment. I don't see why they need to use this underling's apartment, especially if he needs to sleep there and is occasionally sick and needs to sleep in. Well, and we already discussed that he's bringing home a lot of money and he's not even the rich one of the group, so... Exactly. Anyway, Mark, go ahead. What is your first one? The Apartment, the Boys Club Guide to Adultery. <laughs> Sounds like a handbook. Yep. <laughs> Sarah, uh, please read us one of the real ones. Please note! All caps. This one's very risque and mighty spicy. We suggest you live the kitties at home. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I saw the real taglines the other day. They were... You pronounced kitties with T's instead of D's. <laughs> yes, leave the kitties at home. <laughs> well, it's so risque. My kitties cannot handle Very that. risque. Mighty spicy. Oh, all right. Uh, my next one here is... The Apartment, a romantic comedy by only the loosest definition of that term. I'll do another read. Uh, <laughs> the Apartment, a romantic comedy by only the loosest definition of that term. Better. Yeah, I'll leave both in. <laughs> I was sure he was going to edit the, the other one out just because. You, you watch. Maybe I won't. It, Mark, it could go, go into the bloopers. Maybe. Uh, What is this? Taglines. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, correct. The apartment. The key to his success, corporate-wise, is under the mat. <laughs> That's uh, very similar to one of the actual... Yeah, I, I borrowed... I had actually already thought of doing something wise-wise in mm -hmm. one of them before, and then I found their taglines, and I was like, oh, I can't right. do that anymore. But I did anyway. <laughs> right, because uh, Jack Lemon says to Fred at one point, uh, I like you looks-wise, personally personality-wise and otherwise, or something. Yeah. All right, Sarah, do you, do you have one more real one? Trying to decide which one I think. The, oh, the, like, do the best one. You the can movie read the wise, one that mine was based one. off of. No, that <laughs> one's dumb. And there's, like, three of them that are just very... I like that. He lent his flat for love of his job. <laughs> How risque. There's also one that's, you'll simply fall apart with laughter. Mm, and I'm yeah, like, will no, I? No, no. no. Alright, my final one here. Uh, let's see if I can perform this one without repeating. <clears throat> it's the apartment is a little old place where we can get together. You're welcome. Boo. <laughs> the apartment, baby! Love flat, baby, love flat! 
<laughs> Let's go on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game. A description of the plot of the film you would see in a TV Guide or Netflix description, which is technically accurate, but possibly misses the point. Oh, that is a mouthful. Uh, especially since mine have been so short as of late. Um... So, I'm going to give our audience the plot of The Apartment, which is simply, <clears throat> an elevator operator's love life has its ups and downs. You're welcome, Mark. I wrote that one for you. Oh, did I steal it? Did I steal <laughs> the one you had? You're making a face. Hmm. Well, oh, oh, I guess it is my turn, isn't it? It is. I was Please waiting for something to happen, and it's my turn. I, I usually cue you, I get it. When his neighbor calls him names, an accountant realizes it's time to move out. <laughs> uh, Yeah. I don't know, one of the names he called it was pretty good. A mensch. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was referring to, but I guess technically that's supposed to be a good thing. So. Yeah, yeah, though, in the film, they kind of get the definition wrong. Yeah. Because they say it's just like... Um, a man or something. A, a real man, whereas more literal translation should be like a stand-up guy. Anyway, uh, my second and final one here is... A confirmed bachelor finally finds love after finding an, an unconscious woman in his home and taking advantage of her in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, no, it's not great, and that was kind of the point. Oh, no, no, I was talking about mine. Uh, no, I was responding to Sarah's silent face that our audience can't see. Oh, I can't either, <laughs> because I don't have the video on. I mean... I see. I'm looking at my list instead of the video. Mark has anyway, no eyes! Ahem. When Cece Baxter falls in love with an elevator operator, their relationship has lots of ups and downs. Wait, why didn't you make that grow when I did it? Because right. mine's better. <laughs> that's fair. The loud noise must be reserved for Mark. That's true. It is a staple. I, I wrote that. That was the first one I had out of any of my games. And mm -hmm. I was nervous that someone would steal it. And I was correct. So <laughs> Well, of course. I was expecting that dumb joke to come up because it's the only thing I can think of when I see an elevator operator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Elbow him in the stomach is just like, how's business, Bob? Well, it's got us up and downs. <sighs> that old-timey voice is just getting a real workout today. It sure is. It's when a movie is set in the 1950s and everyone talks like this. Does sound more like 1910 silent movie voice, though. Well, sure. How could it be it's, a silent movie It's for movie a radio voice. play you would hear over line in your Zeppelin. To be fair, it, it's like radio voice. It's like, I'm the radio voice from Annie who's doing the thing about the... The commercials and the... Sure, a... you're never fully dressed without yeah. a smile. And now the lovely Boylan sisters. Alright. I'm gonna fly to the moon on a dirigible! Anyway, let's move on. Uh, to our review scale, which is, um... We're gonna start with our infamous potato scale, telling our audience what they can expect to feel when watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. So, anybody is welcome to start as I bring up the list and decide my potatoes. Think I have the list up? Did have so I already I even wrote mine down this time. Get oh boy, then you here. should definitely start. Well, we have discussed. I think it's funny that it's supposed. To <laughs> it's funny that it's supposed to be a comedy. Um, it for all the reasons we discussed. You know, you look at it and everybody talks about it being this romantic comedy, and we just could not 
there wasn't much to laugh at, there wasn't much romance. However, they had the suicide and lots of depressed people and being stuck at work and the adultery and etc. So suicide is painless. On our list, we have one called Black Potato for Troubling Issues, which I think would definitely fit this one. Um, oh, and yeah. based on the tagline that Sarah read, you don't want the kitties to be there. So I, uh, one that we made, Carl made up, I believe. Yeah. Uh, some point was vodka because it's only for adults. Pronounce it correctly. It's vodka. I am not vodka. Russian. And <laughs> obviously, and again, because of things that we discussed earlier, I don't. There wasn't a lot to this movie that really kept me in it. And I want to say raw potato just because it was kind of bland to me, which is sad because so many people talk about it being in the top 100 movies and it's supposed to be this great thing and it's a classic, but I just couldn't really get into it that much. So I have, let me see what I actually wrote down, raw black potato vodka. I mean... I don't think you make vodka out of cooked potatoes. I know. So that's not terrible. It's kind of cool having them all make one sentence. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I agree <laughs> with you. But it's not the grossest combination we had was my point. Oh. And so, like, well, having yeah. raw potato vodka is not a disgusting thing as it could be. Well, they are black potatoes. I don't know how good that is. <laughs> so I will go ahead and go next. I am right there with you in terms of the black potatoes. Um, I was not expecting uh, a suicide attempt, especially one as uh, taken as seriously in this film. Uh, the realistic uh, recovery, she needs two full days in bed to get uh, up and right again. Uh, the amount of work they have to do that night to get her stable so that she can go to bed. Like, I wasn't expecting that. And it's a long protracted sequence. And that's pretty dark um the other ones i had i went in thinking it was a romantic comedy because it kind of falls under that category as i put in one of my taglines and i don't think that's the right way to go into it but because i did thinking of it as a romantic comedy because that's how it's categorized i put sweet potatoes which is we have on our list is not as expected so it's very much not a romantic comedy in the way that we think of them Though I don't know how I could categorize it another way. And finally, uh, I think part of the issue I had with, as you mentioned, the bland, uh, I had a problem with the pacing at the end. I was, I think, somewhere at the point of my notes, probably when he gets his second promotion and there's still 20 minutes left in the film. I was, I was just feeling really like the film was dragging. Yeah. The pacing was so, like, I saw 30 minutes left on the movie and then, I was exhausted and spent is like, oh, there's still 20 more minutes of this. And it's just like, it was a slog to get through this. But I don't think that's particularly bad. It's just bad by my reference for pacing of movies nowadays. And so I put Frites in that this 1950s movie is maybe lost in translation when it is brought into the 2020s to, uh, as a review. And so like, if you go into it, expecting 1950s pacing and understanding the what they thought was a romantic comedy or what this film really is i don't think it's necessarily bad but i think it does get lost if you're not expecting that so i have black potato and sweet potato frites now i think we had a similar conversation about the pacing of vertigo 
and the really long, pointless scenes. So which one is the worst? Oh, uh, probably Vertigo. Just because that has, uh, basically, that is basically two separate films with a, and almost an intermission, or what should be an intermission in the middle of it. This one was only bad in, like, the last half hour in the third act, and it seems like it drags so much, and then the love story is really crammed in there at the end, and part of that can be forgiven with the storytelling that they're trying to do here. So yeah, Vertigo's worse. Sarah, please give us your review. Um, I was similar, but instead of going for black potatoes, I went with blue potatoes for adult downer. I debated about that, too. Because it kind of just is like, guess what? Being an adult in real life is kind of (laughs) awful. You're not wrong. Um, work sucks, relationship sucks, sometimes people are bad, and sometimes people, relationships don't work out, and sometimes people feel bad and do things because they feel bad, and there's just a lot of that. That to me is less, like, less disturbing and more just like, I feel sad. Like I said at the beginning, melancholy. This film is full of it. And then... I was trying to think of another one, but I it was just maybe oven baked potatoes. There's just a lot of talking before you kind of get into and maybe it's not doesn't take too long to get started, but there is a lot of like we've we've discussed before, I don't mind as much kind of slower pacings, but there is a lot of like just standing around in an office, just gentlemen in an office talking about office. Yes, and you were expecting a silent film oh, so yes. we would have all these talking. <laughs> but but it's very like 1960s were men in an office talking about our arrangement. And it is a I little... mean, I, I would do my old timey voice, but I yeah. think I've had enough play of <laughs> You've that. You've done it a lot. Um, so it does like, it, it's like an old car. You gotta, scenes gotta ramp, they gotta, they gotta get some momentum before they start flowing. They're just like, they gotta Ugh. get cranked up. Yeah. Um, mm. It's kind of like my car. I have a very small car. And once you put the foot on the gas, takes it a few seconds before the power starts building up. It's got a very small engine. Though for a small car, you can fit like 10 or 20 clowns in there. It's true. <laughs> Many clowns can fit in my car. But so, yeah. So it's a little, it, it's one of those where you kind of have to be in the mood for the slowdown. So yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. I yeah, I so I tend to actually really enjoy classic movies from this period and earlier even sometimes. So, I guess that didn't bother me as much as maybe it did for Carl, but there are definitely those points where you just feel like, okay, is it over yet? But Carl, every time you there's like a the big end. like we're just going to stare at the mountains for like <sighs> 5 minutes, Carl is like, I hate looking at these mountains. Why is a scene not happening? Are you talking so. about Lord of the Rings? <laughs> No, I don't know. No, Lord of the Rings has fine pacing. What what we're watching where Carl's like, why is this so slow? And I'm like, I'm fine with this. Let's just look at pretty things for a while. I'm fine with setting an atmosphere. I don't need to do it for 15 minutes. I get we're in the mountains. You've established a setting. That's all you need to do. Move on. Carl does not want to be taken home country road. Right. So, like, unless the point of it is that they're in an extremely remote area, and that's a... Like, that's what you're trying to do by this prolonged mountain shot. Like, we talked about, um, baby secret lost dino. (laughs) How, one of the good things about it was how many jungle shots it has, because it did establish how deep in the jungle they were. The lion sleeps tonight. Yeah, yeah. Carl wants to be taken home bullet train. Yeah, yeah. I, I get what they're going for. Just do one, two establishing shots. 
you're in the mountains. I get it. What's happening in the mountains? I don't need to see 15 minutes of mountains. I know we're in the mountains. Move on. I'm okay with the mountains. I like the mountains. I miss the mountains. There are no mountains here. Are there any mountains in Illinois? There's no mountains in... You want to be taking home Mountain Road? There's no mountains in Illinois either, are there? Not that I know How long have you lived in the Midwest and you don't know what (laughs) Illinois looks like? I don't really go to Illinois. I've never uh, been to Chicago. I think Illinois is flatter than Iowa, actually. We've talked about the fact that I've never been to Chicago, except for the train station. I've been to the train station. Sure. And nowhere else. We have a couple of those. I've been to one. I went in it, I got on a train, <laughs> I left. That's all that I've done in Chicago. That's usually what well, people do in train stations. It. Do you know where I've been in Illinois? I've driven through it. A I've train been station, in a couple, number one. <laughs> and a couple rest stops. That's it. That's how I spend my time in Illinois. I know nothing about Illinois. Well, that, that's and all that's there is a train station, so you saw it. Anyway, so. uh, let's go on to our other review scale, which is a more traditional rewatchability scale, telling our audience, should they go back and watch this film? I give it a seven. I don't have any real feelings about it. It just feels like a seven. But it's better than average. Yes. It's better than average, but I like if I was chosen to like I'd rewatch it again if I was feeling in the mood. But like like if I was given the choice between this and Man of the House or this <laughs> or Ant or this and a lot of the movies we've watched, I'd be like, yeah, I'd watch this again. I'd watch this again if it was on TV. But I don't have any real emotions towards it. I think I'd rather watch Promises, Promises because they'd start singing Burt Bacharach. I never fall in love again. Well. I ended up not too far away from your uh, review of it then, Sarah. Because initially, when I finished this movie, after having watched it, and we've discussed how I went in with inappropriate expectations, which is weird giving the context of this film. It's a weird thing to describe it as. Anywho, but expecting a romantic comedy as I know them to be. And this film is very much not that type of romantic comedy. After finishing it, I kind of wrote down in my notes, four out of ten, I don't know why this film has gotten the acclaim that it has. But seeing the huge accolades that this film has got and reading Roger Ebert's review, I kind of get why this is a cultural touchstone for the time that it is set in. I uh, Also, this is... Uh, this was released in 1960, which I think is only a few years before films were released wide, widely in color. Uh, and so it's kind of, um, you know, the last great films of the black and white era. It's remembered for that. I think it is definitely a film of its time. And so I, in retrospect, after watching the film, if you go in the, with the right expectations and, uh, if you, can deal with the pacing of a 1950s movie. Uh, I think six is where I'm going to put it. So uh, you mentioned the thing about how it was toward the end of the black and white movies, and that was one of the things I found was this was the last movie shot in completely black and white that won an Academy Award until The Artist in 2011. Wait, what about Schindler's List? They explained that. that. It's not entirely black and white. There were colors. Um, Yes, the the last scene isn't. Well, no, and stuff like the coat is in color. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they had that in there as well, but they explained there were parts of it in color, so they weren't counting it. So, So I did exactly the same thing. Uh, I actually started with it at a seven, 
because I was thinking, you know, I didn't really love it, but it's a classic that you hear about, and if people are in that mood, it's something that you could go watch, and it's one that I may watch again, but probably not as often as some others. <laughs> um, but I I went, as I've been doing a lot lately for our podcast, since we've reviewed so many movies now, I start to go back and look at my old reviews and say, well... This movie I gave this number, and this movie I gave this number, and I would definitely watch this one before I would watch that, and uh, stuff like that. And so I started to drop it down a bit lower, and then I said, well, it is the classic and has all these people telling you it's one of the top hundred movies you need to watch before you die, and everybody else seems to like it, so maybe it's just me. And because because of that that part of it, I raised it back up a little bit, so I had it right at a solid six as well. You raised it so, up. Yeah. It's, it's definitely better than, like, a middle of the road, and if you really like the classic films, and the like you said, if you like the pacing of it and you're in that kind of mood, it's something you should definitely watch if you haven't seen it before. And if you have seen it, then I guess it's just... If you're in the mood for it, you can decide if you want to or not. (laughs) Mark, we're supposed to tell them whether they should or not. Saying whether or not they're in the mood for it doesn't give them a lot of information. Anywho, I get what you're saying and I do agree. Though, I don't know if we necessarily have to trust reviews that have happened before. But because they existed... I did dig into it further as to why these uh, institutes or famous reviewers that I know and trust to be good judges of film like this movie, uh, which is why I changed mine. It, it's, I looked into why they liked it, and I can see what they're saying. Uh, though, I don't know if you don't know anything about this era, and like you just heard, oh, The Apartment, that's a classic. I'll watch this. I think you're going to be a little disappointed. I would agree with that. Anywho, uh, that is going to close out our reviews. Sarah, can you tell people where to find... Fi- where to find? Where to, find? where to find us online, should they choose to do so. You can find us at retrograding.fireside.fm. Our Facebook is Retrograding Podcast. Our fan Facebook thing is Retrograding Party Line. Our music is done by Dominique Barn. Who continues to be great. All right. Well, for maybe the first time in retrograding history, I have a lesson written down Ooh. ahead of time. Ah. Uh, so, guys, I learned something today. How to cheat on your wife? <laughs> no, it's a different one than that. Uh, this was a line spoken by Shirley MacLaine, uh, just before she decides to commit suicide. Um, which is not why I wrote it down, but I thought that she delivered a pretty good lesson for the women that find themselves being the other woman in a relationship. And the line that she has is, When you are in love with a married man, don't wear mascara. I assume that goes for their wives as well. Anyway. That is going to close out this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time.
have relationships. Really? She just left. Oh, um, no. This is... I have no idea. Iowa Falls. I'm, do you have any idea where Iowa Falls is? No. It's in Iowa. <laughs> I got no idea. It's not my sister. It's right. Iowa Falls. The entire town of Iowa Falls. 